The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Uh, Steve Weston. Steve is from the Eastern Cape, and he and I have been chatting a bit lately regarding the difficulties of opening cases of fraud in South Africa and how we can overcome those difficulties. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chad. Good afternoon. Thanks for the invite. Steve, only a pleasure. We we are in a similar situation, and many of my listeners have found themselves in that position where they find it difficult to open cases, etc. But before we get to that, I want to know a little bit about Steve Weston. How did you get into this particular space? Chad, um, as all of us did those, uh, well, in those years, we did our military service, did camps. I then ended up in the police as an investigator more of violent crime and also then fraud was considered even then very uh, serious. And I've been a private investigator for 20 years now. Uh, This month is 20 years. And um, I've specialized in commercial crime, uh, which often is not uh, um, syndicates as such, but an organized group of employees. And uh, what I've done down here in George in the last uh, five odd years is a lot of people seem to have a problem where they pay someone to do something, for example, to put up a wooden Wendy house. Pay a deposit, pay a full amount, whatever. Um, it's small. It's usually uh, small amounts. And then um, they never have the thing uh, completed. And the local police stations around here in the Southern Cape, and I've experienced this through the country, um, tend to persuade a person that it's not a criminal charge of fraud or theft, but rather a civil civil matter because a contract is involved. And that's how I've got uh, quite into this in the last five or six years in particular. Well, that's what's so fascinating because a lot of our clients out there, a lot of the listeners that are, that are tuned in today have been victims of smaller crimes and they've taken the documentation through to the police, etc., and when they've presented what they believe to be evidence, they've been turned away and they've been told it's civil. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about what constitutes a criminal offence and, in particular, fraud. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. On Skype with me is Steve Weston. We're chatting about fraud and what constitutes fraud. Steve in your professional opinion and in terms of South Africa jurisprudence, what is fraud? Jed, it's very simplistically put and, and very easily understandable on the police website. Um, I quote them as saying, fraud is the unlawful and intentional making of a misrepresentation which causes actual prejudice or which is prejud- uh, potentially prejudicial to another. Now, that is is the major problem we have. That's pretty easy for most people to understand. A lot of the time, unfortunately, I don't know what the training entails these days, but the misrepresentation part seems to be mis, uh, misunderstood by a lot of members of the police by, by meaning that it's it's not criminal per se, but a contract is involved and therefore you need a lawyer. And that is not the correct thinking at all. So you've you've put together a comprehensive document, and you, you've you've very kindly given me sight of this document, and I know that this is a labour of love for you. It's something that every investigator in South Africa pulls his hair out, as do complainants and victims of financial crime. Yet when I read this document, 
for me as a professional in the industry, it's still difficult to read. How do we make something as simplistic as possible that's available to the public so that they can understand and be able to explain at station level that they've been prejudiced as a result of fraud? Chad, as you know, we've discussed this. I need to get this document down to a lot less pages. And I think the easiest thing to ask in a nice way, I would say, um, any member of the police is, or to point out to them, that an action by a, a, a victim would never have been taken or a transaction would never have been uh, agreed to and completed if these other parties' full intentions were known. In other words, most of the time, a, a, a suspect person, a thief, whoever ends up taking your money or whatever he takes from you without paying you for it, whatever he says to induce you to feel safe enough to conclude what you believe is a transaction, that constitutes the fraud. That's the misrepresentation. The person doesn't say anything to uh, induce you to hand over your, uh, your property, your money, whatever it would be. So as long as a policeman understands that, I cannot see how they cannot understand that, all right, here is a case to be answered and certain proof. At at that point, a uniform member of a police in in a charge office doesn't need uh, or a community service center to know what exactly is required as far as evidence is concerned. He needs to make sure that the elements of a crime are fulfilled and that someone has taken something from you without returning any value. That is the important thing, and that should be the easiest way to explain it to any any uh, policeman on duty. So, Steve, how do you how do you tread this very very thin line where you want to impart knowledge and show the police officer why it's a fraud without it becoming a test of egos and a, and a person thinking, well, I'm being spoken down to, I'm being taught something, because this is a problem people have, is that the the members are not necessarily schooled in complex fraud. The members at the charge office have been schooled over a year at college in contact crime prevention, in public order policing, and they've touched on fraud. Now you come along and you say to them, this is fraud, and it's almost as if you, you're showing them something that they believe they should have done, and because they don't know, sometimes an ego can come into play. What do you do in that situation? That, that's 100% true, and I personally am mostly known to be slightly impatient more often than not. But what I find helps is I, I often add an attachment to my statement. If I have a client, I'm, I'm not a police detective anymore, haven't been for years, I'm a private individual. My client pays me, and part of the payment is to have a case registered, have the authorities assist them. I often try and, and in an informal way, train or teach the person that is helping me uh, from the police side. If I don't know the person, um, that it will be great if you do know the person, and sometimes we're in that lucky position. But I often take it as a very nice way of saying, please read my statement first before you read the complainants. My statement is is slightly longer, but it, it's pretty straightforward and it explains a little bit more. And very often a policeman or a policewoman would then say, and the statement agrees, and I'd say, yes, obviously it does, and here is the further proof. That is the nicest way. Um, there are more negative ways when a person does tend to have a very serious negative uh, vibe from the uniformed individual. 
Um, that would entail asking the full name and uh, um, police uh, uh, his force number, asking for a more senior commander to come and assist you. Um, and one can even end up going to the uh, police ombudsman in the Western Cape. The rest of the country, unfortunately, doesn't have that option. You know, we deal with either IPIR or the, the office of the DPCI judge, and they invariably would refer something back to the provincial complaints office. Um, in closing, I think it's very critical that the, the listeners understand that they need a professional st- statement drafted. It doesn't help to go to a police station and let the police officer draft that statement on their behalf because they may not understand the intricacies of, of, of what has occurred. And I think this is where it's so important where an individual like you come into play because it's that statement that's so critical. The decision by the branch commander is made based on that, that statement. The decision by the prosecutor is made on that statement. And a lot of people have been turned away when they've brought their own type statements, being told that the standing order is that the, the officer on duty at the charge office or, or client service center, as now called, has to take that statement. That's incorrect. We've proven it's incorrect. We've shown the standing order that says it can be taken by a member in the charge office, but if it's in the prescribed format, etc., and it's typed, it can be accepted, provided it's commissioned in front of that member. So, so for me, it comes down to the statement. So for our listeners, if they need to get these statements drafted, if they need the professional expertise of somebody like yourself, how do they get in touch with you? Chad, that, that's pretty easy. Um, we're all registered uh, at various um, authorities but we're all CIRA registered, as you know, with the uh, Private Security Industry Regulatory, uh, Regulatory Authority. Um, if you'd like, I have a phone number and, well, my email address is pretty complex. Maybe you could put it up later. But most private uh, uh, um, investigators in this country should be able to assist quite adequately with this. Um, if I may, my number is 63 Zero six three five seven nine double five eight two, and having been in in this industry almost thirty years, um, I obviously am available, or I can assist anywhere in this country. Well, Steve, I think you're playing an exceptionally important role, and I wish you so much luck with regards to the drafting of this document because it's going to help a lot of people. But in the interim. People need to understand that if they want to have a case prosecuted and they're aiming for financial restitution, it comes down to the way a statement is written, and it has to be written by a professional such as yourself. I'll be uploading your contact particulars on our group Confidential Brief Radio Show, and um, I will most definitely be chatting to you once that document is complete and advising our, our, our listeners. In fact, we'll be chatting to you again live as to how they can get hold of that particular document. Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks, Chad.